Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership. Today, we are so pleased to have back with us in our studio, Mr. John Blossom, president of Shore Communications and author of Content Nation. Uh, This is such a timely interview and discussion on leadership because we're going to talk about leadership and technology. And with the launch of the iPad, John has some very interesting thoughts about that. John, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Darrell. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, John, as you and I serve on the Software Information Industry Association Content Board, that's a mouthful, uh, we were discussing the iPad on Thursday. What are some of your top-line thoughts about the iPad in regards to its features and what it's going to bring to the consumer marketplace or to the business marketplace, for that matter? Um, Thanks. Uh, The iPad is an interesting development. Certainly, uh, people have been interested in it. Uh, there was enough media attention there to sink a boat, it would seem. Uh, but now that the dust has settled, I, I think that most people are recognizing that uh, the iPad is very exciting, and, and uh, it's very interesting that a light, uh, attractive device can uh, put up movies and e- e-book content and web pages and, and what have you. But at the end of the day, I think what people are recognizing is that this very exciting device doesn't do much that terribly new. As a matter of fact, uh, it actually doesn't do a lot of things that uh, other devices do already in terms of its uh, ability to connect with uh, different types of of content. So uh, the iPad, I think, has been a a little bit of a flop uh, from the perspective of being a really breakthrough technology. But what I think it it does do is point towards uh, a new era that we're entering in which technology is becoming much more sensor-oriented. Uh, the, uh, the, I, the iPad is very much like an iPhone grown up. It really uses pretty much the same technology with a larger screen. What that larger screen does allow people to do is to get their hands literally on the, the uh, content a lot more intimately and to move it around on the screen. And uh, I think that's presaging uh, a period here where we're going to find ourselves interacting with content with more of our body parts, literally. Uh, and, we're going to be getting into an era of 3D uh, television over the next decade or so. And already uh, in the movie theaters, obviously, you're experiencing movies such as Avatar 3D. We're going to find sensors to be more, more part of our life uh, through uh, technology that's embedded in our mobile phones and so on. So this idea that iPad is beginning to put out there for people to experiment with is to get more hands-on with uh, consuming and creating content in ways that uh, were a little bit more standoffish in the era of the PC world, where we had this thing called a keyboard and then the screen over there. Uh, touchscreens really begin to take us right into uh, a more physically intimate relationship with content. You know, John, to that point, uh, uh, Kara Swisher spoke at the SIIA NetGain conference last year, and she said that um, she had not bought a uh, Kindle, because she was waiting for Apple. She says, I'll, I'll just figure, I'll pay more for the whatever Apple develops, and, and I will buy that. Do you think that the consumers are going to respond just as uh, Kara has responded? I think that some might. Um, what I think is really going to happen, though, is that you have to ask yourself, what is it that people really want to do with books in electronic form? And uh, I think what people like to do with the books is to kick back and relax and to spend some time uh, catching up with things in a way that they don't necessarily do on a PC today. Uh, I'm not too unlike a lot of other people that are involved in social media 
and I tend to, to flitter between my email, my work assignments, going out there and checking things on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or what have you. <clears throat> and my, my attention can be pretty scattered through the day. When I kick back with my ebook reader, mine happens to be a Nook from Barnes and Noble. Um, if I kick back with something like that or a paper book, even um, in my in the evening hours, I want to you know, catch up with stuff and just um, relax and open my mind and um, and my heart to, to different ideas and feelings. And I think that's where the iPad can be a player and and uh, for a leisure activity device where people can kick back. Um, so ebooks, I think, are going to be very po- popular on the iPad. Though not, I think uh, ebooks are not going to be magically transformed because an iPad has all of a sudden appeared. Uh, what we're going to have is a, a, any number of devices that are going to be in play for ebooks. But to some degree, the way that the iTunes store um, got people more excited about downloading music for for money. It could be that we see that the iPad does help to accelerate people's interest in downloading ebooks. Uh, the question is, are the youngsters who grew up on uh, their um, their Apple portable devices, be it an iPhone or or the iPod, uh, are is the simple presence of ebooks on iPad going to be enough to get them interested in ebooks? That I'm a little bit less certain about. Well, you know, I, I have to share with you my 12-year-old daughter, Bailey. Uh, she uses EBSCOhost, uh, part of their curriculum at South Orange Middle School. Right. And they're grabbing uh, content from a variety of different sources. And to this point of whether you call it an e-book or e-reader, um, quite frankly, does it really matter as long as it's e? And whether it's a book, or it's a magazine or a periodical, I think that at the conference this week, uh, the panel discussion got caught up on ebook versus trying to find a, a name for it. Hey, it's an electronic reader, digital yeah. reader, it's pure and simple. Because as you know, digital paper is going to be with us soon, which speaks to if the digital paper, which has been promised now for the last 10 years, if it comes to fruition, um, you know, folks are going to like the portability of folding something up in your pocket versus carrying around a big tablet like a, a Nook or a Kindle or an iPad. Well, that very well could be, and I, I would agree that uh, one of the key opportunities for iPad is education, uh, where there is a need to be able to have traditional courseware uh, in textbook format to be able uh, to merge with things such as video and uh, more interactive types of text-oriented content. Uh, and I would agree that uh, you know what we call a book today is being transformed radically because of electronic publishing. Uh, the question is, are publishers really ready for that and thinking about ways that they can exploit it to its, its maximum form? Right now, I think it's very early days from the publisher's perspective. Uh, most e-books are simply just that. They're just electronic, scrollable forms of uh, what you can get in print format. And in fact, in, in many instances, e-books offer less terms of their formatting and uh, interactivity than you might be able to get in, in a typical book that you pick up at the bookstore. You can't necessarily flip through all the same illustrations and so on. Right. When, uh, mm-hmm. when, I, when I wrote the book Content Nation about social media, I had hundreds of illustrations in the online version of the book that I'd written on a wiki uh, with input from other people. Uh, dozens of those uh, pictures had to be dropped from the print edition. And subsequently, because of that, since it didn't appear in the print edition, 
they didn't make it over into the ebook version of it either, even though in an electronic format there was room for it. But John, but, but John, so, I have to say, isn't that yeah. ridiculous though? It, it certainly well, it's it's unfortunate. You know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to step out here for a second. And uh, for my publishing colleagues, uh, please forgive me. But mm-hmm. there is a young man or young lady in a garage right now who are thinking about publishing something. Mm-hmm. And they're going to publish it. They're going to publish it in a, in a way that's more dynamic and more free of all of the rules that the so-called traditional publishers have held on to. And they're going to blow them out the water. And you cover this topic very well in your book. Oh, yes. And and I think that the business leaders, uh, they need to be very weary of this because the famous quote that we heard this past week in regards to what does uh, uh, someone at Google worry about. It's the same thing that Michael Bloomberg said that he worries about years ago. He worries about that young man or young lady in their garage who are thinking about the next great thing that he's not even thinking about. Yep. So, you know, the publishing industry, this is their wake-up call. Absolutely. And, uh, well, the publishing industry has had about 15 years of wake-up calls. You kind of wonder whether, you know, they ever, ever set the alarm. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think they did. I think they uh, didn't even hit the snooze button because the radio, <laughs> because the alarm clock wasn't even plugged in. These things have been going on and on. I think one of the uh, remarkable things about uh, the conference that we were at here, the uh, Software and Information Industry um, in, in Industry Summit, was was that uh, there was so much anticipation of this iPad saying, "This is it. We're finally going <laughs> to be saved." The publishers were saying. And, you know, the, the biggest uh, denouement here, the, the biggest outcome of, of this iPad introduction is publishers seem to be saying, oh, gosh, this really isn't, isn't going to save us. We really do have to change. Yes. And uh, it, it, there's been far too much attention in the publishing industry, especially over the last five years or so, looking for some magic bullet that is going to be able to say, this is it. You know, we really are going to be able to do things the way that we're used to, make money the way that we're used to, and we really don't have to change. Well, and even you know, mm-hmm. even thinking, of, Darrell, of that electronic paper that you mentioned. Yes. Which I agree, it's coming. It's going to be a wonderful medium, but it's going to be wonderful not because it lets us do things the way that we have for 400 years in electronic form. It's going to be wonderful because it can do all the things that we've learned about on the web. Yes. 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 And, and, that, and that's, the, that's the part that publishers, I think, are still having a hard time to grasp, which is not to say that there aren't a lot of great things about print-oriented publishing, but um, there, there's been a, a reluctance to make a transition to a new skill set that um, has left a lot of them in the lurch here. A new skill set and also, John, a new business model. And, 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 John, maybe I am in the, um, the small group of people who think advertising is going to save the world on the Internet. But I do think that advertising is the answer because as you can deliver contextual ads to the right audience and that audience responds to those ads, uh, I do think that that's going to provide a stream of revenue that is going to help folks to publish quality information and uh, not have to worry about heavy subscriptions. I mean, subscriptions, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I I think that um, if you can do that, that's great. But I think you need to think about a blend. And I noticed at this conference this past week, everybody was saying, oh, no, no advertising. Advertising is, is, is not the answer. But new business models that work for your market is the answer. 
Yes, that's, that's a, it's a very good point, and I would agree that advertising, we seem to be having this backlash in part because of the recession, perhaps, it's saying, well, you know, ad-supported, you know, we need subscription revenues, and, you know, Google, you know, Google is, is doomed because it, it all it can do is to stand on ad revenues. Uh, Ken Oletta, who's a wonderful author, and he gave a beautiful presentation at the Information Industry Summit uh, of the SIIA, um, he was uh, calling out Google on this and pointing that they're getting additional revenue streams. And that's fine. You should always have a diversity of re- revenue streams, as we know, if you can. But um, it really is all about the context online. Yes, and, absolutely. you know, good content is where you find it, is the simple way that I put it. And you, you know, John, uh, I guess I'm going to get in trouble with my SIA friends now. Mm-hmm. There wasn't, maybe I missed it, but there wasn't one topic, discussion, presentation on the semantic web or semantic technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did I miss something? I, was I well, out we to the men's two, room on we one? We missed two S words. We missed the semantic word and we missed social media. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to your point on semantic, you know, context matter. Yes. How do we figure out what really matters out there? And semantic technologies can help us organize information very effectively so people can say, aha, this is very valuable. Now, and there are obviously technologies such as Colexis uh, that you're involved in are, are a key component in that. But, and I, I think what happens, though, is that a, a lot of what seems to happen is this left-brain, right-brain thing in, in the meet the uh, publishing industry, be it oriented towards enterprises or consumers. Um, there are a lot of business leaders just get really bored when you talk about things like semantic technologies. But the truth of the matter is that it's what's helping to pay a heck of a lot of people's bills out there on the web. That's right. I can tell you, I had three senior partners from PE firms request a meeting with me because they wanted me to provide them with a primer on the semantic technology and the semantic web. Yeah. It really, you know, the ability to go out there and to organize information in meaningful categories is one of the, the key values of the web. Now, a lot of those categories through a search engine such as Google tend to be on-the-fly on the categories. We type in two or three words, and all of a sudden, in a sense, that becomes a categorization that is uh, organized on the fly or we may have more permanent organizations, so we get uh, some search results back, and we have the search results clustered in a number of meaningful ways. Mm -hmm. We might use that to be able to build an index for information for more permanent retrieval. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whichever way you do it, you know, it's a big, fat world of confusing information and different terminologies from different uh, societies and what have you. How do you get that information put in a meaningful form? Right. Well, you know, old-fashioned indexing just can't just can't cut that very very effectively. Right. That's right. So you know the the electronic tools such as the, the semantic web help us to make sense of things much more rapidly. Uh, the the question is though, are we going to wait for people to go out there and to to tag all their content, you know, with the, with the right semantic summation of what it is? Well, even if somebody tried that, you know, one person's idea what a category be may not be another person. So technologies such as Colexis that can go out there and do things on the fly effectively to be able to say, ah, well, this is the category that, you know, it could be from this perspective. On the other hand, if you're looking for this, maybe it's that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mm -hmm. um, 
the, uh, the contextualization of content that uh, web technologies allow, I think one of its greatest value is that we can create different value points for different so effectively. Yes. You know, yes. one moment yes. it can be one particular type of audience and then... A yes. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I agree that uh, the, the, that particular was uh, missing and the social media word was missing a, a bit, I think, too. Right, right. And I, and I think that as you and I sit on the board, uh, it's going to be up to us to make sure that uh, those topics really get elbowed their way in because the more that we can help the industry and the public understand about semantic technology and uh, social media, the better we'll move ahead as a society. Because imagine, if you will, that you have a doctor, a researcher, if you will, in one part of the world uh, researching a particular disease category, let's say it's pancreatic cancer, and he's missing a clue in his research. But somewhere, because of the semantic web, he sees another researcher let's say, in Seattle, Washington, who's working on something similar, but who has found that clue. Getting those two people to be able to come together to have a discussion about this particular uh, key research concept is so powerful, and it helps to move research ahead. And this example works in all mediums and all disciplines, and that's what the semantic web is all about. And that's why we have to really push and drive this topic, because it benefits mankind, quite frankly. Yes, and I think you, you, uh, in your example there, I think is, is one of the key things that uh, society in general is trying to, to do is to figure out you know, what are the opportunities for people out there. You know, sometimes it's the opportunity of a researcher. Right. And uh, sometimes it's the opportunity of a marketer. Yes. And uh, a lot of what's happening in business today is um, businesses trying to figure out how do we gain revenues from arenas where we have have not traditionally been playing as a business right so we see people going out there and trying to find opportunities for innovation in adjacent markets or going to overseas markets and what what have you and a lot of times when people are going out there to research those opportunities the information that they're looking at is organized not towards them coming into that opportunity as outsiders they're, they're it's organized in a way that may be completely foreign to their opportunity, if you will, mm-hmm. to being mm-hmm. able to attack um, uh, sets of information through semantic technologies uh, that are tuned to your particular objectives helps you to translate information from other arenas that might and get it organized in a way that can make sense to your opportunity analysis, rather than relying purely on organization that other people in their native sector looking at that opportunity, you uh, may not necessarily be looking at it from the same perspective because your opportunity is different from theirs. So semantic technologies is not just about looking down into your own domain. It's about looking sideways into new domains that you may know nothing about and organizing them from a perspective that the natives in that domain may not even be taking a look at. That's right. Uh, John, imagine, if you will, if the government had this technology uh, looking at terrorists and different uh, concepts that, that flag someone, yep. and, and it would have flagged that that, uh, that young person from Nigeria who was uh, trying to blow up the plane. That would have, he would have never made it on the plane because he would have been flagged in that fingerprint. Absolutely, and in fact, a lot of the uh, technologies that have arisen around semantic processing 
have grown up in the wake of 9-11 through government funding. Yes. And uh, yes. the government basically uh, buys or throws money at just about any half-decent technology along those ways just to, uh, to try to encourage it and to give us an advantage in, in addressing with these issues. And, in fact, my own company, Short Communications, has applied some of these uh, technologies that came out of the intelligence industry to our market research. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're going out there and conducting... Um, studies that allow people basically to uh, provide us with their chatter, if you will, and to be able to analyze it to find market opportunities. So, um, so, even, so even us as a researcher of, of uh, content markets, we're beginning to understand how to use some of these tools ourselves. You know, uh, switching to the topic of the day, which is the unemployment rate in jobs, mm-hmm. it seems to me that um, President Obama, if he wanted to stimulate some high-tech new frontier type of jobs that we should look at this technology and create some incubators around some regional incubators around the country and house them with the, the brightest minds and then fund those businesses that we think they're going to yield us some great semantic technology well it's kind of <clears throat> that's an interesting thought and again i think uh, some of it uh, a lot of the uh, investment in semantic has been defense oriented and national security oriented but uh, I think, as we've been discussing here, some of the opportunities are industry-oriented. How can American businesses compete more effectively, in part by looking at markets from innovative perspectives? And um, I think both the existing technologies that we have and new technologies that could be fostered can be uh, subsidized and aimed more effectively at these opportunities. Now, some of that subsidization coming from the private sector already. If you look at uh, major enterprises such as Thomson Reuters and other large pr- publishers, they're buying up a lot of these semantic technology companies already. And that's cer- certainly something I wouldn't discourage, even if the government does decide to use that as economic stimulus. Uh, but any way you cut it, be it through uh, pr- the private sector or the public sector, there's a lot of economic growth that can be uh, harvested by allowing us to look at our information sources more dynamically and rapidly through organizing the content more effectively uh, through technologies such as semantic, uh, semantic uh, search and analysis so that we can see the opportunities more rapidly that others might not. John, switching over to social media for a second in regards to Content Nation, uh, what has been the response by the business leaders after they attend uh, your, your lecture, and uh, do, do they say, oh, wow, I, I, I'm really going to uh, take some steps to really improve our social media presence so I can improve my productivity of my business? What is the, the normal response that you hear, the common threads? Well, I'd, I'd say the normal response is split. Um, the content nation message of uh, the world being a nation of publishers yes, and uh, the democratization of, uh, of publishing and allowing uh, people to be uh, more productive and, and more effective themselves without centralized publishing. Um, that's a frightening be- message to some publishers. And there are other publishers who are looking at this, and fortunately the phone rings for short communications. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's still for many publishers early days, just like, uh, say, 15 years ago, they look, a lot of publishers looked at uh, a Mosaic web browser and said, never going to happen. So I, th- I think there is uh, still a bit of a fear reaction to uh, the message of social media, not necessarily to the book, obviously. 
But uh, the idea that uh, you have this disintermediation kind of frightens a lot of publishers. Where I think it is more rapidly embraced is in the corporate sector. Um, so, uh, social media is being embraced very rapidly by many major uh, corporations, be it in uh, automobile manufacturing, consumer product goods. Uh, around the world, companies are recognizing, large and small, that, hey, we have a way to talk with our markets more effectively. And uh, social media is becoming not just a way to do PR, but it's a way to listen to your markets, literally converse with your markets sometimes, and uh, in a lot of ways is supplanting or uh, transforming what people are used to calling market research. All of a sudden, you're in immediate contact with your markets through social media. You don't have to think about going out there and uh, saying, well, you know, we'll do a study of uh, this particular trend in, in the third quarter. Well, you know, you can be examining those trends in real time in social media. So I, I think there are a lot of institutions out there that are embracing the, the content nation content nation message uh, very enthusiastically, and some publishers are, are beginning to latch on to it enthusiastically. Um, I'm especially enc encouraged to see uh, what's happening in the scholarly publishing sector, where uh, the publishers of uh, journals uh, that that uh, provide the results of scientific experiments and things of that sort are beginning to recognize that this helps people who are innovators to be able to communicate with one another more effectively, and that can only be a great opportunity to the advanced publishers that decide to embrace it. And they can do this in the privacy of their home office, privacy of their 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 office at uh, at the university at a time that's convenient for them. As we saw the uh, demonstration of the surgery uh, offering, um, the name escapes me, where a doctor can sit uh, at their leisure at their home to catch up on a, the latest procedure to help uh, perfect their technique. I, I think those types of tools are just simply awesome. Yeah, I think that's an interesting example that we saw the other day. I think uh, what we're talking about in social media is the ability to catch up with colleagues in ways that uh, we used to do only in professional circles, typically at major conferences. Conferences, yes. Mm -hmm. Had to get on the plane and you know go somewhere at great expense to an event that maybe lasted a day or two, maybe a week if you were lucky. With social media, you have a 24-7, 365 conference you know, that you can catch up with your colleagues from around the world and learn exactly what they're doing today, ask questions, interact with videos, and see the things as they are happening in ways that used to uh, take a, a lot of uh, shoot leather and, and gasoline and airplanes to be able to make happen. So um, social media allows colleagues to share and learn from one another so much more effectively. And uh, one can hope and expect that that is going to have a, a tremendous boost on productivity. John, what, two questions real quick before we, we close. We have about uh, a couple minutes left. Uh, one, I read a headline somewhere where Twitter... While their usage is great, it's starting to level off, and the number of people that are that are actually tweeting is down, and they're not tweeting as much. Your your thoughts on that? Um, I think the answer is yes and no. Uh, certainly, statistically, if you look at what's happening in Twitter, it has leveled off a little bit. Um, I think that's in part because of two things. Uh, number one, uh, when Twitter became a very high profile last year. There were a lot of people in public relations and marketing that were jumping on Twitter like crazy. 
going out there and saying, hey, wait a minute, here's a free real-time broadcast megaphone. Let's go out there and shout about our products. So, you know, I was noticing in Twitter that people would be following you, and it was basically advertising with spam. So I think one thing is, is happening is that the spam factor is dying down. People are beginning to recognize that Twitter spam is an, an annoying, and you can't use this channel exactly the way that you would typically do with, with PR. And you're getting a, a little bit more of a fallout of people actually trying to communicate with one another. And the se- second factor is there are only so many people in the world that want to communicate real time. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some yes. of us that just really like to get out there and to, to tweet information and thoughts. Just like there's only so many people that want to be journalists. So uh, Twitter is an excellent tool. Uh, I think it's a tool that's oriented towards leaders. And, you know, the followers are probably going to be consuming their Twitter information through other channels. Right. And, John, what is, uh, 30 seconds real quick, what is the big innovation we're going to see this year in social media? I think the big innovation that we're going to be hearing uh, towards the end of this year is what Google Wave is really all about. Um, Google Wave is something that's in its very early form at this point, but I can tell you as a user of it day by day, um, it's getting more and more sophisticated uh, with, with each passing day. Uh, so, so from a technology standpoint, watch Google Wave. From a broader standpoint, mm-hmm. I think this is the year we've seen it in Iran, we've seen it in other nations, the political impact of uh, Social media is going to be very interesting to watch this year. There's going to be a lot of push comes to shove in the world in general, and social media is going to be in the thick of it. Well, excellent. Well, John, I want to thank you again for your time. We're here with John Blossom, president of Shore Communications and author of Content Nation. John, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Darrell. This is Darrell Gunter with Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM on the campus of Seton Hall University. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great week.